Hello and welcome to We're All Gonna Die and Other Fun Facts, a semi-regular, occasionally amusing, and rarely funny series of conversations on a random topic. This episode is entitled Chris Q. Murphy has a live stream now, or had a live stream now, and it's about the Chris Q. Murphy uh, Tuesday night live stream and his turn return to live post-COVID performance, and it's about a lot more than that. Uh, but our guest for this episode is someone who knows something about Chris Q. Murphy's live stream, actually Chris Q. Murphy who also holds the distinction of probably being my longest continuous friend. Right? I mean, I, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to be that person. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I am, we are um, in the remnants of Hurricane Ida, colliding with a stalled out cold front. Okay. And uh, yeah, Western Pennsylvania is getting wrecked as we speak. Well, I hope you guys are staying as safe as possible in Pittsburgh anyway. We are. Uh, I might teach my class on Zoom tomorrow. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. I guess yeah. we'll see. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see how flash the flash flooding is. <laughs> I just got a similar warning for New York for Wednesday going into Thursday. Yes. I have no idea what that actually means, but we'll see what happens over here as well. Yeah, I uh, was checking out the Allegheny County alert system on Twitter and there's already flooding. There's already places that don't flood that are getting flooded right now. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. So we'll see how this how, how this all shakes out. Indeed. Cuz you know everything's falling apart apparently at this moment in history. <laughs> and and you know that's okay. It's it's always been falling apart. I guess it's just sped up rapidly or become more visible in recent years, months, or whatever is at this point. Yes, well, or to build on a theme in casual conversation on the book I'm fighting to find time to work on to finish that I'm supposed to have finished in early September. Um, and my last podcast with uh, Brooke Pridemore, number 97. But this is podcast number 98. We are getting to 100. Ooh. Slowly. It's only taken wow. six years, but uh, a thing I've been saying a lot is seven years, eight years, eight years. First episode was Spiff, December 2013. Uh, but I've been saying a lot lately to myself in my own head and now out loud, the 20th century is dying. Sounds about right. I, I can deal with that. 20th century, 20th century modes of being. Also, yes, cool people who did cool stuff in the 20th century are also dying which is, I think, the perfect metaphor for, you know, our maybe the, the world that we grew up in is definitely going away forever. Um, and a lot of those sensibilities and a lot of those modes of production and a lot of those ways that we expect normal living to be are, yeah, where the 21st century is going to be something else. It's not the 20th century, but faster, but it, it's going to be something else. Well, we'll only be around to see, you know, half of it and change if we take care of ourselves. So uh, we won't get to see how they figure themselves out, but maybe we'll have fun watching them along the way. Maybe. Maybe. No, and listen, I, I think, I, you know, I, I think another 10 years, we'll know what this century is really going to be. Okay. I think another Although, 10 years. I don't know, dude. 
like do did the 1930s know what the 20th century was? I think forward-looking people had a pretty good idea. They knew there was right. going to be another war. They knew there was going to be another war. They knew industrialization. I mean, they had a sensibility that industrialization was going to go on unchecked. Um, let's burn all the fossil fuels we can. All of that, well, you know, that was pretty established by the 30s. I mean, telecommunication was a bit of a, a curveball. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but, yeah, I think we'll have it figured out. Uh, all right. I mean, I, I, I felt actually a seismic shift in time in my own life today in a, in a very acute and surprising way um, that lets me know that we're definitely not in the proverbial Kansas of, of my life anymore. Um, I was at a local amusement park with my kids and uh, on a very antiquated and terribly loud and mid-rangey distorted PA system, they were piping music into the park, um, which felt very 20th century at best. Yeah. Uh, but the music they were piping in was none other than WCBS FM, which in our youth of New Jersey was targeted directly at the boomers playing the hits that they were going to feel most comfortable with. Um, to give them that sense of nostalgia or what have you. Um, and as I sat there singing along to the hits of Janet Jackson, Earth, Wind and Fire, Rick Astley, Spandau Ballet, and some others, I realized that I am now of the age that is the target demographic of WCBS FM. Because I was deeply enjoying these light rock R&B cuts as I walked around the amusement park. And wow, it was a bit of a mindfuck to find out that we were listening to WCBS FM. That's wild, man. You know, so I had this interesting experience. Um, one of my barometer things from my students or icebreakers, you know, instead of just saying people's names or mispronouncing people's names or if now because my university has a dead name problem, we just basically go around the room and I'm like, what is your name? What are your pronouns? And what's the last good song you heard? Ooh. You know, and I take notes, actually. I, I print out my first three-week roster is like, there's huge boxes to take notes. I love it. Yeah. And so, and then the question changes for the first three weeks. And then I do learn their names. We might have to do a little longer this year because, you know, I get eyebrows. <laughs> so that's what I get to see from my students. Um, and thankfully, they're mostly sitting all in the same seat. But, you know, it's a process. Um, so it has been a year and a half since somebody said Wonderwall. Okay. That, that's, that's a good sign, I think. Yes. But the other weird thing is how many have gone really hard on classic rock? Like what generation of, of classic rock are we talking? Um, because Fleetwood Oh, so like the classic rock of, of our youth, the shit that had just fallen off the charts. Yeah. 
So, well, yeah. I will say, no. yeah, so it's classic. Uh, so, yeah, Fleetwood Mac, I guess Joan Jett, which you think that's 82, 83, when she got started. Um, and this is undergrad? So these this are, these are freshmen. These are 18-year-old, traditionally aged freshmen. That's that's shocking. Yeah, the wow. 190s band that came up in both classes and the 190s band period that came up was the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, Jesus Christ. To tie it back into your last episode with Brooke yeah. Rydmore. Yes. Of course, being the biggest Chili Peppers fan in, in the, the world. Yes. He fucking loves those guys. Yes. They are a big fan of the Chili Peppers. <laughs> you know, and I love that litmus test. Because he does that. He does that with people. And it's also to know if you can actually have a conversation with music, with people about music. Because if he said to he said this to me or they said this to me. Sorry. They said this to me. If you say. Oh, everything but the Red Hot Chili Peppers, like some people might just. Oh, no, that's such a weird concept. He just know they know. Boom, we're done. We're out. There is no reason to have a further conversation. But if the other person finds that amusing or is sort of like, I could see that, then the door is open. <laughs> I love that. Because then, you, and then, then Brooke says they know. Well, I mean, so my thing now is, and it's inspired by Jacques Attali's Noise, the Political Economy of Music. I say to people, anything that reminds me of why some medieval kingdoms outlawed everything but liturgical music. <laughs> and if somebody's willing to like go in on that, yeah, then I can have the convo. Whoa, I love it. And wow. if that's just like, that's then I'm putting up a stop sign for other people. And if they want to <laughs> take that stop sign, we can talk about the weather Oh my god! I think that I know. Flag is my green light, dude. Yes. <laughs> wow, I need to develop a similar litmus test, and now I'm thinking very deeply about what it might be. Wow. Well, because you know, and again, it's like, what's that geek culture thing? You know, mm. what is that exploratory thing? My musical nostalgia project for the pandemic and it has kind of crawled to a bit of a halt because I picked all the low-hanging fruit is completing the run of all 156 issues of College Music Journal's New Music Monthly. Yeah, how many shorts are you? I am down to 25. Uh, all right. If and some of those are numbers. partials. Some of those are I have the CD or I have the magazine. There's only yeah. about 14 or 15 that I don't have anything. But Send I got... me a list. I might be able to help you out. Okay. Uh, have you actually have you actually already hit up my people that worked at or with CMJ back in no. the day? Oh, Jamie Davidson worked for CMJ no. for a long time. So I have the like 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99 low-hanging fruit. Okay. Until about 2001. And then there was a gap. And then I actually got a, I, I bought a prescript, a subscription to CMJ for the last three issues. So I have the last three issues. <laughs> I have in the early aughts, I'm missing a couple and like the first 14. 
DMJ, what a weird, weird time. And that for me has been time travel. That for me has been, I'll put one of those sampler CDs on and cook my eggs in the morning and go, wow. Or like just flip through like the one that had the local zine Pittsburgh and to know mm-hmm. what's still there and to know like uh. people that I've met mm-hmm. or mentioned in that issue. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that for me is, is my, is my time travel. So I think it's also something to be said for yes, WCBS FM. It's light. It's familiar. Yeah. But the people who are still the searchers, the people who are still the creators, the people who still want to learn stuff. Um, I get that. But seeing as my, my bread and butter is trying to inspire future searchers, um, I, I have some reservations maybe about having such a litmus test or, or being too much of a music geek because I still have hope that somebody that is headed down the, the path of resistance when it comes to music listening um, can like find some little hook to hang their hat on. Now I I'm interacting with predominantly 13 and 14 year olds. So yeah, I so 13 to 14 year olds. I think my 18 year olds, you know, they're young. They don't even know yet. They yeah. don't even know themselves yet. I mean, this is, you know, one of the things I always say to them in the fall semester, I come up with, you know, this is the beginning this semester. Now that you're away from home, the lifelong mission of figuring out what your childhood meant. It's starting like in the last few months. Oh, shit. You're, you're you on it now. Day one. Oh. Day, not quite day one. I did mention that. I did mention in both my classes, day one, that, um, <laughs> Of my undergraduate cohort, I had two, three friends, four friends that lost parents during college. Wow. It just came up. It just flew out of my mouth. Dr. Gloom and Doom. It just happened. And it's real. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you should have seen the looks yeah. on their faces when I yeah. said it. Um, so I, I think for those who, but I think folks our age, I mean, I, you know, another thing that was brought up in that podcast with Brooke, and it's been on my mind a lot for the last few years since, I mean, really since before the election and me trying to figure out Trumpism is for people like at what point, at what age do people hit a save point? that you can look at somebody you can look at. And for me, I was even thinking about looking at Joe Biden, looking at Trump for both of those men. What was the last year the world made sense? What was their save point that you can say, this is the last time. I mean, like my mom, it might've been 1963 or 1964. Is that the last time the world makes sense? Wow, that, that's heavy. Um, that's a plan. And so I, I worry about that in middle age. I, I see it in some of my friends and contemporaries. Yeah, I, I actually, I was spending a lot of time with somebody recently who I think their save point was 30 years before they were born. Um, but that's probably a different discussion for a different yeah. day. I um, mean, it, it is, but I think it's, well, it's still the same 
sort of Eric from notion that, you know, how, what, what do people do in the face of uncertainty with the knowledge and understanding that life is itself inherently uncertain. Mm. And he said for, for some people, I mean, if you go back to a dead era, he said, nostalgia is a kind of necrophilia. It is a kind of, it's a dead thing and you love a dead thing because that dead thing can't change. Mm. And to love the present and to love the idea of the future is a biophilia, is a love of life. And okay. I could just, I could see that. I mean, you know, I have good friends who I think maybe for some of them, the pixies are the last thing that happened or that Nine Inch Nails is the last thing that happened. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, I mean, exactly. You little know. tiny pieces. Yeah. And so. Oh, my God. Also for me, I will say the litmus test is also just my own emotional exhaustion. Like you've known me for so long, you know how eccentric I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I have a teaching persona that is something I slip on when I get out of the, my car in the parking garage and it uh -huh. limps off of me and, and leave it on, and I leave it on the floor of the parking garage when I leave. <laughs> But it feels very genuine. It's very real. And it is a muted version of me. But yeah, in every totally. other aspect of my life, turning me down from 11 is just emotionally exhausting. It real. I, I had there was somebody I went to grad school with. And I'll never forget this. And it was it was this weird class. I was taking a class okay. in the summer and there was a lot of people who were already. Uh, my my PhD university had a summer only program where people with masters who were out teaching elsewhere in the world could come and just over the summer get their coursework out of the way and then work on their doctorate, you know, work on the uh, comprehensives and the um, dissertation later in another, you know, from yeah, a distance. Yeah, yeah. So I was in a class with one other young person. And just being the only other young person, we were sort of bonding a little bit. You know, everybody else was fine and nice and smart. And I was learning from them. And they were professional people who were already teaching in the world. And, I, you know, it was like I was gleaning that experience. But on that social level, and the one day we were talking, we were talking about eating and food and social justice. And I said, yeah, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a vegetarian, but I don't eat mammals. And she says, oh, well, what do you eat? And I was like, well, I still do, you know, chicken and fit. And she goes, and she was like, chickens are mammals. And I just knew, I was like, we're out. This friendship is over. I can't deal. Like you, you, A, did not get through fourth grade science class. You're in a PhD program. You're in my PhD program. You did not get through fourth grade Ooh. science class. And you talk down to me for not knowing that like chickens don't produce milk. <laughs> They're not live births. No, my last I checked. Chickens are milk. Well, it is the 21st century. So yes. <laughs> anything is possible. Anything is possible. Um, and wow. I just knew at that moment in my life, I was like, I can't mute myself for this person. This person is not worth dialing it down and, and living with them on their terms. And so, yeah, like I don't, 
really need to have that music conversation with someone for whom it would be like, how, how is that possible? How is it? How, what do you, what do you mean? Non-liturgical music? What? I was like, I know like, we're good. We're good. We're good. Uh, I, if you want to talk yeah, about I, the qualities can, of that, I can see the litmus test being a little more. Yeah. It's no, not even like I, that. I, I want to be like, Oh, you're go. cool or not. You suck. No, it's like, I can enjoy your, my experience of you on a, we can just talk about something else. You into baseball? You like baseball? You know, which in this town is right. a hard thing. Um, too, but it's like, you know, no, I'll just find another venue. So by it's which more practical people... than philosophical. Yeah. And it is, yeah. So it's not like, oh, you're mm-hmm. cool or not, you know. It's more like, okay, I can be myself in this arena with you thing. And if not, then we'll just find another okay. way to be social and that's fine. And it's not that I don't think you're deeply uncool or anything like it's not like I want to make sure that the litmus test is not whether or not people make it into the the college dorm cool kids club. Because, you know, what you know, what <laughs> makes you, that that thing, but by the way, that's gone away. Right, because you could just look everything, they could all just look Wait, it up. So like that display of I've seen this film, I know these five albums, I've they're over it. The young people they're I mean, you know, they're over that. So what, what are they looking for now? What are their litmus tests? I don't know. <laughs> and I don't okay. know. And that's okay because that's then, fine. and because then also if I knew I would then have to try to pass them or something i'd be like well, am i passing and it's like i don't no, care no, like no. yeah i yeah i don't need that i don't i'm not looking no. for that emotional satisfaction with them that they think i'm cool or whatever they just think i'm weird they know i think their culture sucks oh okay. and we just understand that and move on and we have learning objectives <laughs> that we achieve and and ways that that my class offers them knowledge that they need for their life, and that's okay. how we interact. I guess I'm okay with that. I just feel like I don't know. I I guess I'm I'm looking for. I, I know that the stuff that I'm trying to make happen in my classroom isn't really going to hit on the level I need it to for for many many years. But I no. guess I'm looking for people to achieve that that meta validation that their culture doesn't suck any more or less than mine sucks. Well, you know, but that's okay because your population is very different from mine. It's it's true. You you are predominantly like upper middle class white kids rolling. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh but yeah. They're they're I'm from about. the burbs, most of them. Oh, okay. It's fine. You know, you know, I mean, it's not like it's a thing where it's and if it's anything, you know, my syllabus is also maybe this thing that is exposing them to other other experiences, purposefully hurling them into other experiences. Right. Because they need to be able to think through that. And, And you know what I will say to their credit over time, I've been there eight years now. The students are getting a lot more open and they're a lot more they they are more aware. I think that's one of the other divides. You know, there's the safe point 
And I think there is the people who have used the internet to, to understand other people's experiences. Okay. And to become aware of the limitations of their own. And there are the people who have used the internet to dig, dig in deeper. That's, there's another digital divide there. You know, there is a question of access. I have a very good friend who teaches high school in rural West Virginia, and it's hard for her to listen to this podcast. Right. You know, it would almost be easier if I, if she asked, I'd burn it on CDs and mail it to her. Right. Or she, you know, has to go to Charleston once every few months and spends a lot of time downloading things on her phone. Right. While she's there. Um, there's that uh, digital gonna, divide. And then there's just some people who, you know, as Mike Miller says, ignorance is a choice. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that there's another group coming up behind them. Um, I think that there's another emerging group. Okay. Of, of post of internet natives, post Wikipedia natives um, who already in their early teens understand that the amount of knowledge available to them on the internet is infinite. So fuck, I'm gonna stay in my lane where they're gonna just kind of like, be like, you know what? I'm never gonna know all that shit. So fuck it, I'm just gonna do this thing. It's like a a weird willful ignorance thing Mm -hmm. where they're like, I'm just, I'm not even gonna bother. There's no way I'm gonna reach the end of the internet. So why should I even bother traveling it? Um, so. Hmm. Yeah. So beware. Uh, beware. I, I'll, all right. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. Four years from now. Four years from now, I'm ready. I'll be ready. Yeah. Convince them that there are still things that are worth going out and looking for and learning about. Well, you know, I mean, and, and it is, I mean, it's a self-conscious thing that I do. Like, so I'm teaching a class called 20th, 21st Century Graphic Novels and Visual Narrative. Okay. There are no superhero comics in the whole thing. Nice. Like, there's just not. They're, they're, they're reading, you know, Chris Ware's Building Stories and Clyde Fans by uh, Seth and Donald Wemberley's Prince of Cats. Do you know Prince of Cats? I don't. I, I actually, the graphic novels were way more my wife's department and now becoming my seven-year-old's department. Okay, so Prince of Cats, which, by the way, Spike Lee is already attached to direct the film. I'm already sold. Okay, it is I, Romeo and Juliet okay. told from the viewpoint of Tybalt in 1980s The Bronx. I am so all over this. Prince yes. of Cats? Right. Prince of Cats by Donald Wimberly. Actually, no, this is a podcast. We're recording it on Zoom. I will hold it up. All right. I've not even seen that in my wife's piles, but I'm I'm so into that. Yes, it is cool. it is thing. And it is also it the language combines the slang, the 80s slang, hip-hop slang with the Shakespearean diction. No. All right. I'm Yes, it is. It's amazing. We're going to read that in many weeks from now, uh, towards the end of the semester. <laughs> All right, but that's on my stack. Yeah, you got to check it out. It's it's amazing.
all right, I definitely am liking that palette too. Yeah. So, I mean, it is also like just giving them things that are like, this is, this is now, this is cool. They're going to read in a couple weeks. They're going to read Tilly Walden. Are you listening? And I'm going to be like, she's 23 when she did this. This is not far removed from your experience. All of these books came out in your lifetime. And this person is not removed that far from you. And to just know that those like worlds of culture are out there. Yeah. Yeah. Word. Yeah. (sighs) That's what's got to happen. I only recently... Yeah, I've only recently been able to read graphic novels. Um, like, I, it's a weird thing. I, I haven't, until very recently, I haven't looked at them seriously because I assumed they were not for me. And when I tried, I, I couldn't find that balance between following the visual narrative and reading the text. Mm. And it's only recently that I, I've been able to kind of find that but i think i'm still appreciating them separately mm. where I'll, where i'll come across um a full page or i'll come across a panel where i'm just like that looks phenomenal and i can understand that the storytelling is great but i haven't made the I, there's some sort of disconnect up here i'll send I, you my syllabus i have the heuristics that i use with my students that i'm using already with okay students that Four classes in, they're already starting to launch and take off and take over the class from me. All right. I definitely want to try that. Please send yes. it to me. I'm interested. I, I will send you that that syllabus. Yeah. Um, and also it's just getting the right stuff. I mean, for me, it was the gateway is finding the Canadian cartoonist Seth. Uh, okay. his, his book that's coming back in print November, George Sprott. Um, I, I think I've heard of that. Yeah, it was in the New York Times magazine. That's how I found it. <laughs> okay. Back when they had cartoons in the New York Times Sunday Mag, they had okay. George Sprott serialized. Okay. And it opened cool. a door. Mm-hmm. And I just, the one day I was flipping through, it was, it's our bathroom read. And I caught it and I caught it in the middle. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it doesn't look like anything I've ever seen before. I mean, it it was one of those moments, those beautiful moments. And, you know, my students asked me why I wanted to be a college professor. And, and I gave them three reasons. And reason two is I'm hopelessly addicted to discovery. Oh, wow. I love and that. I'm hopelessly addicted to the pleasure of discovery. And that was a moment where I was like, what the fuck is this? I've never seen anything oh. like this. And I went through the pile and I read every single one of them. I stopped what I was doing that day and I read every single one. Nice. And then it was over in a couple of weeks and I felt profoundly sad. And then it came out as, as a collection that's mm-hmm. bigger and more involved. And I taught it for a few years while it was in print. Cool. And asked this very real, it's a story of a man's life, but I also asked this very real question. How can we record history? How well can we know a person in history? Mm-hmm. How do any of our mechanisms for, for whether it's narrative, whether it's artifacts, whether it's archives, whether it's collectors, whether it's individual memories, whether it's interviews, can you ever fully comprehend the life of a person? 
right. with the added bonus that Mr. Sprott maybe did not have a good life or did not live All a right. successful life, which All is right, which is the Seth thing throughout. Okay. Are these people really good people? Did they live a good life? All right. Yeah. Every time I talk to you, I feel like I have to add 34 books to what I should be reading. I try. And you know what the funny is? I don't read that many books anymore. <laughs> I, it, I mean, this class was, you know, it fell into my lap. And I was nice. like, literally, I had to design a course to fit a learning community called Artes for art. And okay. I was like, can you think of a class? And I was like, oh, well, fuck, give me a day. And I was like, man, I would really love to read some 21st century graphic novels. There you go. Bing. And I, I'll do it. It's going to be called this. It's going to be great. And then nice. I got to go to my favorite comic book shop and talk to the owner and was like, well, I like this, like this, like this. What else you got? And nice. just spent a rainy, rainy summer day in Pittsburgh, just going through piles of comics. And I spent ridiculously, a ridiculous amount of money. <laughs> and it's always the way. And it was so late. And so, see, I originally was, I was going to go in there. I was going to look at some things. I was going to buy some things. Then I was going to ask for desk copies for the rest. I wait, I procrastinated. So Mm. just had to, just had to buy them all. And actually I bought more than I ended up using. So Uh, I got a bad thing. Yeah. Is that a bad thing? There should be no regret when it comes to buying books or music. No. And it's never, never anything bad. No, and like um, this, Chuck Olson said to me, the my painter, the painter and um, art professor in college said, "Your well of ideas, your library is your well of ideas, and your well of ideas should be like your well of drinking water. It should always be a little deeper than you need it to be." Nice, I love it. So, of course, if I had every issue of College Music Journal, New Music <laughs> Monthly, and I needed the time travel, and I did need to, like, yes, my save point is 1998, but there has to be cool bands from 1998 that I don't know about yet or that I did, wasn't ready for in 1998, I could pull one of those off the shelf, read some reviews, listen to the CD, and go, yeah, nice. Team Gretsch, they were great. Have, uh, have you stumbled across my old band in any of your 010203 issues scribbled in a margin anywhere? We, we got a few really small, tiny mentions. I believe so, yes. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens when your guitar player works at the magazine. Regardless of your medi- mediocrity, you can still get blurbed. Johnny Lowe Trotsky was a good band. They were a good band. I enjoyed that band. I enjoyed things about that band. <laughs> I enjoyed listening to that band. I enjoyed my night with that band. Um, the venue you played, of course, in Pittsburgh is now a juice bar. Of course. It's not here anymore. It's okay. Actually, the um, musicians in Pittsburgh got it shut down. How'd they do that? There was an active boycott and no one, no oh. one would no one would play there anymore because the owner did something really terrible. Oh, okay. And so most, there was one band that at the end, there was one band that would play there. And so they were there three or four nights a week. 
and they <laughs> suck. And they still think they're super important. They still think like my friend wrote a thing for Next Pittsburgh, and it was like the hottest the punk bands in Pittsburgh you should know right now. And it got posted to this Facebook page, and a bunch of people were like, "What about this other band? I never heard of these bands. Why is why aren't they why are they saying bands I don't know?" This is dumb. I mean, literally, like it was happening. Like it's one of those things. I saw it on the internet. I was like, "Wow!" And I, I helped. I a little bit. I gave a little bit of feedback to my friend for this article in the draft stage, and people were like furious that someone would be talking about Pittsburgh music and mentioning bands they hadn't heard of. Though one of them, the art, the freaking their record was reviewed in pitchfork and stereo gum and all of the national magazines. I think it might've been reviewed in Rolling Stone. Well, then nobody gets to say they have, Never mind. Urgh. Yeah. And people were like, yeah. oh, this is, I never heard of these bands. What about that band? that used to play the 31st street pub five times a week. <laughs> they were the only ones who put up with the owner. That's the real scene. That's the Pittsburgh oh. scene from, oh, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's Yeah. And I mean, I could also say part of the safe point thing is Western Pennsylvania is a region that is defined by loss for a lot of people. Fair enough. There's a lot of, you know, because the world changed, the economy already changed here. Right. And even for like my family in Johnstown that might get another four inches, five inches of rain the next year what's going to happen. Um, you know, which, yeah, is a place that the world literally ended several times for them. And so if you have anything, you hold on to it. You hold on to it so hard. Yeah. That you grasp it until until you strangle it to death and you're, you, you know, your, your, your knuckles go white or something. Um, that's part of the thing here. Oh. So there are that that has also taught me living here about safe points. they are i'm not fucking around i think the eagles are really going out again and like trying to do the nostalgia trip not that i have any beef with the eagles i'm not an eagles hater as a matter of fact i think that at some point very soon there's gonna be an entire generation of intelligentsia that that are too old or too young to have cared about the big lebowski which is the principal reason that people hate the fucking eagles and there's gonna be eagles renaissance in the indie rock community. Because those motherfuckers could write pop songs and sing, and we could say a lot of other shit about the Eagles that we want to, but the two things you can't front on when it comes to being a fucking radio success is if you can sing and you can write good pop songs, then, then you get to stake your claim and everything else around it becomes, you know, Bullshit. Unless you find out that like Don Henley secretly murdered somebody or Timothy B. Scott is a kid toucher or something. I, yeah. Like, otherwise, I mean, like. Yeah, it already it already happened with Fleetwood Mac. Right. And it, it's like continually happening with Fleetwood Mac. Like every three years, a new group of people are like, oh, my God, rumors is amazing. I'm like, yeah, you didn't discover that. It's always been amazing. So. It's always been amazing. It's funny. So I have a very good friend who has a line in a song that 
disses Fleetwood Mac. You know, the song is called Musical Preference, and it's about like you can still be friends with people even if their musical preference is bullshit. Okay. And you know, and his what was his line? You know, was like you know, as long as you don't like Fleetwood Mac or something or Gigi Allen or dubstep. (laughs) What's our what the what the forbidden bands are? And so we were actually I was I was his driver briefly for a little mini tour. Mm-hmm. And we went to record stores in Ohio and Indiana. We only got as far as Fort Wayne, Indiana, but um, and then I dropped him off on a, a, a in a in a van, and um, he was good. But we were going to record stores and asking. I was asking about rumors, and I heard. Well, we add a dollar to it every year. Wow. We had a dollar to the price every year, and someone else said um, that there was a store in Columbus, Ohio, where they somehow got 30 copies. Oh, wow. And he put a price on them. He's like, I put, a, I, you know, it's like $12 or whatever for a used copy of Rumors. And he's like, the crate didn't last a month. He's like, every day wow. we were putting out copies of Rumors, and people were scooping them up, and they're like, oh, that we, you know... Go back in the back room, grab grab another three rumors, throw it in, and they were just gone. They didn't last a month. I feel like that's a record I've given away five There's 40 million in circulation. It's yeah, been repressed now, too. So there's 40 million in circulation. It's like there's always rumors. I think at one point in my life, I had two copies of rumors. Well, I, I know I've had multiple copies and in record purges. People have grabbed, like, oh, you're really getting rid of this? I'm like, yeah, I'll just stream it. I have it on MP3. And then, like, I'll inherit. I, I haven't done this in a long time, but it, there was a cycle, I would say, in my my 20s and early 30s, maybe, where I would just, you know, inherit collections because people, the, the vinyl resurgence thing hadn't really happened yet. Yeah. Not in a mainstream sort of way. Um, so, like, you'd get somebody else's, 50 or 60 record collection because they're going to throw them out. And like, there it is, another fucking copy of Rumors. And you're like, do I hold on to this one? No, I'm going to get rid of it when I move again. I actually don't know if I have Rumors on LP or not right now. I'd have to go home and look. I may. You may. I may not. I don't remember what I did the last time I I got rid of records. And if you don't, I mean, you got another month of garage sale season. Yeah, <laughs> you got another month for that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just listened to, to Lindsey Buckingham on Mark Maron's podcast, and uh, that was that was far more interesting than I thought it was going to be, but for very different reasons. I thought that was going to be like a, a bunch of like hackneyed war stories, but it was actually somebody thinking really deeply and hard about the the act of still creating new work as life changes. Oh, wow. And, uh, I don't necessarily like, I mean, I went and listened to the new record because it was like, oh man, I love what this dude is saying. And I listened to like three and a half songs and I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to hear this. But th- the fact that like the dude is, you know, 70 something years old and and has had this many lives and part of him is still like, well, what do I do with my music now? You know, I, 
there's something admirable for somebody there that's made as much that, money. Yeah, as someone he yeah. doesn't have to. I mean, you think about right. the sheer number of Oleander is still touring. <laughs> Big Wreck is still touring. The desperation of Eve Six Twitter. You know, those are they had two songs. They had a stand half a song. Oleander had half a song. I don't know. I think I Orgy talk. is still out there. Uh, you know, I think I Googled the question, what is Izzy Stradlin up to now earlier this evening? So I'm probably not the best person to talk to about this. But you know what I mean? Like, you know, it is that thing that Frank Sinatra said to Lionel Richie. If you got one song they want to hear, you have a career. I mean. And if you ever looked at the Rock on the Range lineup in Columbus, Ohio, it is every band for the last 20 years that had one song. Every rock and roll band that had one song plays Rock on the Range. Uh I, I now I'm now I'm going to fucking look it up. I'm, I'm curious because now they all had one song. And so for someone like Lindsey Buckingham, who does not have to Paul McCartney, who doesn't have to like ever write another song again. Yeah, he's crazy and, motherfucker. And to be willing to I ask that is kind of admirable for me. I mean, that's, you know, I which is I think is I mean, that. That speaks to my own irrational fear. Like, you know, I had I had a second when the book came out. I was like, uh, what what if they're all gone? Oh, uh, what if what if I did it? What if I did it? What if I had a finite number of poems and there's and I cleared the deck? I will say with the book, I cleared the decks. There's nothing from high school, but there's there was a couple things with the first draft. I was still living at St. Francis. I was still a college student. I cleared yeah. the decks, and I went and I had a moment where I was like, "Fuck, like what else?" I have still physical files. I still have, and I actually spent a day in my winter break my elongated winter break. And I went through everything and I went through every hard drive CD-ROM backup just in case. Mm -hmm. I will say the good news is I've written some of the best poems I've ever written this year since my book came out. Well, that's fucking great, dude. Yeah. So I still got bangers. I might have enough for a small chat book. The stuff that was left and also the new shit. I could probably swing a chat book at this point. I, I, you might want to hold on to those for the next full. Yeah, I want to hold on to, I want a real thing. I need to get better actually at sending stuff out in between to like web journals. And, and stuff. I did that today, but, but yeah, uh, it, but you have that moment where also it's like, what was it going? You know, I mean, here's the question you ask yourself. Did you write stuff before anybody gave a shit about it? Yes. For years. Did, for did, years. Did you, before any, before anybody did you gave like it. it? Did you like the stuff you wrote before, so, before people gave a shit about it? So here's the thing. Um, don't go I deep have on, no, don't, no, don't go no. deep on this one. Just, no, no, this is this is the thing. There was a poem that I wrote when I was 36. It's when I was 16, and you knew me when I was 16. I did. I did. 
And I started writing a lot, mostly because I wanted to be in a band that never happened. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. I could have been in that band with you, but I was too busy dealing with some other shit. Yeah, it's all right. Anyway. Um, I wanted to be in a band that never happened. And I started writing and I wrote stuff. And when I was 36, I finally wrote the stanza that came out exactly the way I wanted it to. So you have absolutely no, you should have no fear about running out. Yeah. If you're, if you're still like, if you're still chasing that high and you are still like trying to be better at it, then there's no reason to worry about stop. If you liked doing it before people gave a shit, then you're going to like doing it after people gave a shit. Yeah. And all the stuff in between is just, you know, I wouldn't worry about it. Not, not even for a second. Yeah. You're a person that creates things. That's what you do. Yeah. You know, I, I, I shouldn't talk though. I had actually a couple of weeks ago, I had a, a huge crisis of conscience about, about writing songs or ever wanting to play songs that I've written again for the rest of my life. Really? It was weird. Yeah. It was, um, you know, there's this weird, you know, we talked before about, about, um, save points and things making sense to us. Um, at the be- at the very end of July, beginning of August, when I fucking got COVID after having been vaccinated, it sent me in, I was fucking furious with the universe. Um, and it also kind of like, you know, fucked with my lizard brain in terms of what made sense. Yeah. So like this wasn't supposed to happen. And obviously my logic brain was like, dude, this was never a hundred percent. You took some chances, blah, blah, blah. But my lizard brain was like, this was supposed to make you fucking invincible. So <laughs> it, it made me, you know, question everything. And there was a time, I want to say about two weeks ago, when the only musical activity I was interested in was like playing mopey versions of pop songs on my acoustic guitar. I'm like my classical, super quiet acoustic guitar. Um, and, and by pop songs, I don't mean like I was trying to start up a new cover band or anything. I mean, like, I was like, huh, my son really likes this song by the weekend. I'm gonna sit down with the lyrics and I'm just gonna play this song by the weekend. Mm. Oh, you know what? Somebody said something about ABBA on TV. Maybe I should listen to ABBA's greatest hits and find a song I want to play mopefully on my acoustic guitar. And so I did. And for about a week, that's all I wanted to do. And I was freaked the fuck out by it because I was like, Mm. I I had no interest Mm. in writing. I had no interest in like working on being a better performer or developing new repertoire that I would put in front of audience. All I wanted to do was crawl inside of that guitar and play these songs, but not from any one save point, mm. just from like my own. Wow. I just realized what it was all about. Holy shit. I said it out loud. Now it all makes sense, but I'm going to stop yeah. talking because you think you're going to respond. Well, yeah. And I, I guess for me is like that. This is why I do multiple things. Fair. 
This is why I am so happy, though I don't have, I haven't had the, I haven't had the time. When I get the book manuscript in, I bought from the Crap Keys page. I learned about it and I found one on eBay. Oh, Crap Keys, baby! Crap Keys, that weird karaoke machine with the cassette you, player. In- you got one? I got one on eBay when somebody posted about it. And it was like, remember when these were on eBay and I went to eBay, they posted it within five minutes. I was clicking buy. I bought a used one. Is it amazing? It is. I've played with it a little bit. I realized that I have what is, I bought three mono quarter inch to eighth inch jacks. Okay. So theoretically, with the mic and there's another input, I can uh-huh. use, instead of using my inline mixer that has four channels, Yeah, I can have a cassette recording. I have those 23 keys, I think, or whatever's on that thing. Uh-huh. A rain, and a range of sound effects. I can plug the theremin into that and one other instrument. I got levels for everything, for the sound effects, for the tape player, for the keyboard, and the inputs. And then from the quarter inch out that I created, then run that through the pedal board. That's insane, and I love it. You know, fun part of your setup. And... That could be the main part of the setup, not fun part. That could be the central focus. Have you told EW about this yet? I have not. Don't. Don't. <laughs> it's going to fuck him up. Gonna, <laughs> well, hopefully he doesn't brain. listen to this. I, uh, mean, I don't know. I, don't I mean, know one of the about. other things I'm thinking about then doing, because then I could put a tape in of, about then doing a true set, like a true like tribute to Bruce Springsteen set. Oh man, I've been I've been talking about your thoughts on Springsteen, and I you, you got to send me that at least the abstract again. Can't find it in my inbox anywhere. Yeah, because I've been talking about Bruce Springsteen being problematic to people, just to kind of like, oh, maybe that's my litmus test. By the way, maybe mm-hmm. when I talk to white dudes my age, my litmus test is whether or not they're willing to engage with the fact that Springsteen is dangerous. Yes, because there is something primal. I don't know. Have you read the Springsteen piece in The Baffler that was out a couple months ago? No, I haven't. It came out this summer. It is the weirdest slavish, mawkish doublespeak that like somehow spring. I mean, it just taps into this weird sense of what exactly primal masculinity for some men should be. And then they try to rationalize it and it doesn't make any fucking sense. Oh, I mean, I told you about my experience at the horrible pop culture conference. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that is, you know, where, where, and I should explain to everybody else. Now I got to tell the story because I opened the door podcast. Yeah. So I was on this pop. I went to the mid Atlantic pop culture association conference, which I will never do again. It was in Pittsburgh. It was across the street from where I work, literally. Oh, well, you know. I was like, I gotta go. It'll be great. And it was awful. It was a fa- it was weird fanboy shit throughout. 
So I was on a panel doing this, like Springsteen's problematic. Springsteen has these, you know, notions of whiteness that the white working class culture is this weird commodity now that signifies authentic culture. I asked the question in the intro to this paper, what does the fan who pays $1,200 for a scalped ticket of Bruce Springsteen on Broadway while wearing $300 pre-distressed jeans? What are they looking for? That was my core question. And I was talking about race and class and power dynamics and all of this. I was on a panel with a guy whose paper was about, you know, did you know that Bob Dylan played acoustic later in the day he went electric at Newport Folk? Did you know this? For the record, I did. Yeah, I actually didn't. But that was the only interesting thing he had. Then I was on a panel with the chair of the panel's thesis was Buffalo Springfield was a really good band and should have been more successful, but they didn't get along and the industry screwed them. Dude got on a plane to present this. Got on a plane on a university expense account, no doubt, to talk to me about how cool Buffalo Springfield was. And then the other guy was talking about Springfield, Springsteen, and how because Springsteen and Springsteen on Broadway destroys the mythology of Bruce Springsteen, it means he's that great. It's he's even greater and more genuine because he's not genuine. No, that's not what that means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was weird. And the Q and a, I got no questions. Like people literally like had no, like I was trying to be critical about maybe even the wider classic rock canon. Yeah. And nobody could deal. Nobody could even. And the final, the last, we ran out of time. And the Dylan guy was like, well, the truth is that some songs are just better than other songs and they become hits. That's all there is. And it was the most romantic thing. And like my head was about to explode. And um, so that's the second book I need to write. So that's going to be 22, 23. Yeah. Yeah. That's Springsteen book's going to fucking. You're going to hurt some feelings there. I'm not, and that's okay. I think those feelings need to get hurt. I, I, yeah. I really think it is a mythology that is problematic, is dangerous, is harmful. Yes. I even bought the, somewhere in here, the Penn State University press book about Bono. Oh, boy. And Bono and the quasi-religious, the secular quasi-religious qualities of Bono. I'm, mm. uh, almost as to write read as a parallel, like because I think there is this quasi-religious thing that happens with those dudes who cannot be critical or think in any meaningful way about Springsteen beyond like, but he's so oh. great in the rising, you know, that you know he wrote that after 9-11, you know. Ah. <laughs> uh. Oh, and man, the first, your bio needs to like flip for that book. It it needs to start with like New Jersey native. Yes, I uh, have to start with it. Yes, Central New Jersey native. native. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh man, it's weird and bad. All of it. <sighs> yeah. And, well, now I feel bad because, like, just as a musician and a songwriter. There was a lot that I genuinely like about Bruce Springsteen's music. 
But you have you have imbued it with such guilt <laughs> that enjoyment is now bittersweet at best. And um, that's okay. You know, I guess ultimately, I am Professor Frank in that episode of The Simpsons where Frank <laughs> goes into the elementary school with the popper. And the yeah. kids are like, can we play with it? And I was like, no, not until you can enjoy it on as many levels as I can. You know, that that's real. Yep. Fuck the chair. That's real. <laughs> Which was actually part of the chair was shot less than a mile from this house. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll never watch it, but fuck it. Um, no, I... I <sighs> And I think, again, it, you know, and this is part of actually the conversation I had last week with Brooke Um You know, there's an element, too, of it's one thing that a song is genuinely good or bad or that someone is talented or not or someone can sing or not. And, yeah, there's also then the weird thing about, okay, well, what what does the industry then do to them? Right. What does the industry make? What meaning is assigned to or put on top of? Or in conjunction with? Mm -hmm. This is a conversation I'm just starting to have with my 12-year-old nephew. Hmm. He's, he's, a, he's a big pop music fan. Incredibly thoughtful kid. Great musician in his own right already. Um, and... Uh, he, he he brings this analytical and like super thoughtful bent to fucking pop 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 music. Like I I threw a, I knew I was going to be spending a week with him last week, so on day one I threw a random ass project at him that I thought we could do together, and told him we were going to um, take the new Billie Eilish album which we both agreed was too long. We are going to ditch a few songs and then we were going to um, retrack it in order to create some more pleasing narrative to us. And man, this kid dug deep and within 15 minutes, he had dug himself so many wormholes on different ways to do this. Anyway, um, it's only now that I think he's starting to think about these kind of bigger questions about what the industry does with, with those talents because his only experience as a listener, because he's a 12 year old in the suburbs, is listening to commercially produced and packaged music. He hasn't come to the age where he has the opportunity to experience music in any other way. Mm. You know, yeah. he plays music, he plays music with other kids, but like he hasn't been to a show in somebody's garage mm. or basement or even backyard. Yeah. You know, like he doesn't, he doesn't understand how those two things should be the same thing. Yeah. In terms of personal importance. So I, I'm really excited for when he does ultimately have that moment, when he does ultimately wind up in a true, you know, punk experience, like, what kind of context it's going to offer for everything that he's already listened to and thought so hard about. Wow. I'm, I'm like a little jealous for him to get to have that moment in a couple of years. Yeah. Cause he's so, he's so, he's so primed for it. 
You know, like he's, he's going to have all this really intense listening and thinking um, mm. and collecting experience. And then he's going to be forced in like one fucking moment to like reassess the entire thing. Which you, know? you say that we are an hour and 13 minutes away or hour and 17 minutes away. No, I can't do math. Hour and 17 minutes away. From what? From the month that the 30th anniversary of Nevermind <laughs> is waiting for us. Oh, God. So many think pieces are coming up. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's going to happen. I don't want to read any of them. I don't want to read any of them, but I will say for me, that was that moment. Was it really? It was hearing, I will say, it was hearing Teen Spirit on Z100. It wasn't for me. I, I didn't, I, I don't know if I had had that moment before or I wasn't ready for it yet. No, I, ju I, I just hadn't. I hadn't. I, that was Z100 was it. Yeah. Z100, Nickelodeon had that brief countdown show where they showed like truncated forms of videos in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And like the MTV mm -hmm. countdown, like that monoculture was the, what I knew. And because my mom was weird and my house was weird, I wasn't able to like buy tapes or anything. Yeah. You know, there was some records that I inherited from her collection, but she always had a really lame taste in music. And so there was nothing. And then there was literally that thing that for me, it was one of those things yeah, where I opened a door and I fell yeah. in that door hard. And yeah. yeah we had to reassess everything and I'm still chasing that high. And I will I, say I'm to the point where now, you know, I've in my life now, I've been to one arena concert. Uh-huh. I've been to one. I try to go to a DIY show once a week. I missed last week. Oh, uh, I've been to a lot of arena concerts. And I've played a lot of DIY shows. <laughs> but I, I, I still I, try to live exclusively in one world. I, and as a musician, I deeply appreciate that. Um, but, man, I, I'm trying to think about, maybe I haven't had that moment yet. Seriously. M maybe I haven't had... Like, I've had, you know, I have had a few, few things where I would say like things that I could say opened a door. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably been, actually, I've been thinking about this too. It's been 15 years since I had the record that suddenly made everything else in the stack on the turntable in the CD wallet irrelevant. This is the first, um, whatchamacallit, one of the wolf bands, right? Wolf Parade, the first Wolf Parade record. I, I, Wolf Parade, Wolf Mother. There were like 34 Wolf bands. Yes. It was right before the, all the Deer Bands. And yes, the band. <laughs> Deer Bands. Um, that first Wolf Parade, apologies to Queen Mary, for a moment, that was like everything else I was listening to, I put it away. Wow. Um, I hope to have that experience a few more times before I die. You know. I've had other things open doors. I've had other things that I went, wow, that's really good. 
I've had things that go, wow, I want more of this, but to have that mm-hmm. moment of like the, the, the lightning bolt has, has, has shattered the world or something. And I've had, there are bands that really excite me. And again, yeah. the, the scene here in Pittsburgh is really exciting to me. The last time I had that, one of those was, was definitely March of 2015, which feels super recent when, yeah. when To Pimp a Butterfly came out. Mm. That, that changed my life as a listener and a musician and a teacher and just a human being in ways that I'm still trying to understand. Like, that's great. I'm, I'm still, I, I probably haven't even spun a single track off that record in a year now, but it, it so changed the way I interacted with everything around me. I think that's the most recent time it happened. Have you seen the James Baldwin documentary? I, I'm, um, I'm not your Negro. Yeah. I, you know what? I made the mistake of putting it on one night when I was like stupidly tired and I crashed out on it. But I remember sitting there through the first 15 minutes going, Oh my God, why am I not spending more time with James Baldwin in my life? Oh my. And then I was like, the credits music is the sweeter, the juice, blacker, the bear, the sweeter, the the credit music. And so I actually, I fell like literally last week back into that album. Oh, I'm going to have to because you need to revisit that, 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 that book, book, that film totally kicked my ass. It totally energized me and inspired me. And it was like, this is the book I'm trying to write. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm trying to do right now. This is the voice I want. Um, That book. I mean, it really, you know, it starts that unfinished manuscript about, I keep saying it's a book because it, it, for me, is the closest, like, this is a book on a movie. <laughs> this is a book turned yeah. into a movie. This is a book on film. Um, you know, the unfinished <laughs> manuscript where he was going to write about Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, and MLK. But yeah. it really is this, this examination of white America, and in particular, I think, the white America that you and I grew up in. <sighs> a scary place. Yeah, it's not I'm not your Negro. It's South Plainfield, New Jersey. What the fuck? Like that's that for me was the title of that movie, actually. Wow. Now I'm not gonna stay up late and watch it tonight, but I'm maybe tomorrow night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll make sure I have an extra cup of coffee and then dig it. Yeah. Oh, it's man. it's so good. It's so and is it does it speak to us better now than it would have in nineteen seventy nine? I don't, it's so it's so good. It's so I want to watch. I want to watch it again. I watched it last week. Why not watch it this week? Let's watch it every week. All right. Oh man. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll get on that again. You just giving me more culture to consume. Damn you. Sorry. Don't have the time in my life for all this. I know, Can't right? Keep up with it all. I mean, I, I got there a house so full of books. I got a house full of records. I still buy records that I'm, I'm, I'm still catching up with my purchases from the record store day drops two months ago. Wow. Yeah. 
Is this too yeah, much? I, I, it's yeah, too much, too, too good, much. too real. It's because you're, you're chasing that high. Yeah. You're hoping that you're going to, that you're going to help when that team spirit on Z100 moment's going to happen for you again. That I hope so. moment's going to happen again. That's why you keep listening. Yeah. Speaking of which, did you hear Roy Moore's understanding? Roy, no. Check that out. That got that was actually a record store day drop thing. Yeah, if you're looking for a good new jazz record, that that one. Okay. That one. I'm gonna write it down right now. Uh, yeah, I haven't been much on the jazz tip recently. This but no, like there's no reason that you know. It's, that's not where my head has been for the last little while. You know, it, it, experiencing jazz as a listener as opposed to a player um, is is like a. I, I have to live in a certain headspace to to really be able to appreciate it as, as a true listener and not an analyst. Mm. I can always put it on and think through it, and that's always fun in a you know, masturbatory intellectual. Not kind of way. But to really live, to live inside that ride symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, or to, to live inside that hi-hat pre-1940 um, is like, it's a, I, it takes me a while to get to that space. And I, maybe, maybe I need to get back there. Maybe that'll make me want to play my songs again. Uh, in fact, no, it's not Roy Moore. I got to do something, dude. You have to do something. Roy Brooks. It's Roy Brooks understanding, not Roy Moore. Roy Brooks understanding. It got reissued. It was a okay. live concert from oh, we'll 1970. And um, it just got reissued this summer. And All right. It's beyond, 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 beyond amazing. When I, all right, I also put one of the tracks on my birthday mixtape, which I remember now. I have to send you a box of tapes. Okay, I owe you a box of tapes. I think. Oh, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. yeah, no rush on that one. All right, I will. I will check out this Roy Brooks reissue. Yes, Roy Brooks understanding it well. It's energizing. Okay. All right. Maybe it'll give me the energy I need to, you know, yeah. start thinking about playing music the right way again. Yes. <laughs> so are you ready to move to the bottom five? We didn't actually talk about your live stream at all, but or, yeah, we're, we're or, closing or in on an music. hour 30. Uh, what the fuck, man? Yeah. We are you ready for the bottom well. five? Sure. All right. It's now time for the bottom five, a series of questions not related to our main topic, which we never actually got to our main topic, but this has been a delightful conversation. It, it, I feel like I've, I've, I don't know if I've brought a lot to the table, but I really appreciate everything I've heard you say for the last hour and a half. No, so it's true. I'm going to call it delightful in that regard. Yes. Uh, bottom five, a series of questions not related to our main topic that are of a surrealistic and or philosophical nature. And I checked. I went through the record. So you're not getting the same questions as when you were on oh, way back on episode 23. Wow. All right. I'm happy Question to one, which we recorded in a hotel room in Brooklyn. 
I, I remember. Yes. I remember exactly where it was. Number one, if you had to choose, would you welcome the total elimination of day or night? Day. Can dig it. Don't Absolutely. Need it. Yeah. Question two. It's not really a question. It's a prompt that I haven't brought popped out in a while, but here it is. Tell me a happy but somewhat unremarkable memory of your childhood. Both happy and unremarkable. Like you can't be with that time you went to Disney World. It's the, <laughs> it's the time it rained and you made cookies. Um. Well, see, I'm talking to you, so now I'm thinking about moments from my childhood with you. Oh. So that's fucking me up. So um, I'm going to say the, a super happy moment is sitting in your basement and like determining which of your train engines was the coolest engine for various reasons. We were trying to figure out which one was the fastest, which one looked the coolest. Mm. I still know. have them. Do you really? That's awesome. I, I can remember. I have a deep sense memory. Um, I don't. Your basement may or may not have been the same size, color, or shape that I see in my mind's eye right now. Um, but I don't want to know any different. And I will say, it is also the place where I heard Teen Spirit for the first time. Was in that basement? Really? Yes. Not in your room, because your room was a different kind of energy. Yes. Yes. There was, a, there was a certain magic to your room. Yes. Question three. If we were living in a dystopian future and the only books to survive would be those bound in human skin, you would you? This. Would you? you? Said yes. <laughs> would you? And what book would you donate your skin for? With the um, caveat... They open up the tannery at 9, 9.01. The Bible, the Quran, and the complete works of Shakespeare are, are chosen already. You got to pick something else. Don't be basic. Well, the Bible and the Quran, is doing them first is fucked up shit because that's what's going to get him to that same mess all over again. Yeah. Fuck, at least give me a volume of Norse mythology for the fucking Christian Bible. Anyway, um, I would like for my skin to be used to bind um bluebeard by kurt vonnegut okay that's a good choice question four what mundane daily activity gives you the most joy uh, uh i got it down to two Thinking of two incredibly joyful, sensuous experiences. I got to do one, though. Yeah. That, um, you could do one in 1A. Um, peeing for the first time in the morning. Mm. That's yeah, a good that's, one. That's, it's pretty magical. Yeah. Question five. What is your least favorite month? What month is it now? It is August. 
August. It is August for another hour and one minute. It's August. <laughs> yeah, I don't like August either. August is a mess. Yeah. All right. It is a mess. So I think that's about it. So by the way, where where can folks hear your music? What's the best way? You mean the songs I've written or my mopey covers of songs by the weekend? Oh. <laughs> are, are the mopey covers available? No, you'd have to come to my house for those. Okay, so that's in Brooklyn. Uh, yeah. Um you can you can hear my music uh, at all of the places that you stream music in the internet age just by looking up Chris Q. Murphy. Preferably you'd listen to them on Bandcamp because that is the closest thing we have to a true digital record store that you can browse and that actually compensates artists for what they do. That's Those are the links I'll post. I'll post yeah. the Bandcamp links. Thank you. Those are the best. Yes. Our next episode will eventually happen and it'll be about something. Our <laughs> host... Actually, I think I know what it's going to be. Episode 99. This is going to be wild. Wow. Yeah. Our homepage where you can find new and old episodes is going to diepodcast.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podcast Addict, and now Audible and Amazon. Because we got to help that guy get to the moon. Yeah, Amazon invited me. I'm an influencer now. And uh, there's some old episodes on Mixcloud. I just keep forgetting to put the new ones up, but they're there. Follow us on Twitter at at Gonna Die Podcast. And We're All Gonna Die is on, of course, Facebook. Speaking of toxic billionaires. Thank you to our guest, Chris Q. Murphy. And to Andrew Fox for the lovely theme music. Later, meets.